0: But let's begin with this idea that the globalist agenda, and there is one, aims to bring all people of the earth under the control of a one world government with a few powerful people in charge. Globalism, as it's called, opposes nationalism, and nationalism is getting a lot of bad press right now. We'll explain what that is, but it really is national sovereignty, that is, we are a nation, And other parts of the world have nations, and they deserve to be a nation as well, and to have self-government. When you begin to see the inclusion in the court system of quoting international law and precedent into our court system, you know there's a problem, because we are not subject to an international court or the rules or laws of any other nation. We are a sovereign nation. Nationalism promotes the interests of a nation's sovereignty over its homeland, and that's why it's called nation nationalism. Do you see the root of the word there? But there is an anti-nationalism movement in the United States today, and it's very strategic. It takes away our history, first of all. As it takes away our history, it's manifest in things like pulling down a statue, because that's not important. It's not important anything that happened in our past, it's only important in what happens today. And if you evaluate everything on today, then you lose track of not only what you did right, but what you did wrong. We then become like other nations if you take away our history and then take away the favor of God on our nation. We believe that this nation is unique. It is unique of all the nations of the world that somehow God has blessed it with a favor beyond measure. You see evidence of this anti-nationalism in Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, who refused to play the national anthem before the basketball games. He only corrected that when the leadership in the NBA said you will play the national anthem. But I think it reflects the heart of what's happening in these global elites. It reflects what's happening, and it began uh, many, many years ago when there was court action in the 60s to take away the Pledge of Allegiance from the school, to take away the, the reading of Bible or prayer or the citing of the Ten Commandments. So this is not new. This agenda has been going on for some time. The global agenda is not only just that political side, but it's also religious. Some of you have looked and laughed and smiled at the bumper sticker. This says, can't we all coexist? And it has a symbol of every religion that they could fit on a bumper sticker. The answer is yes, we can. And yes, we are a pluralistic society that we should respect all men and their beliefs. But the reality is they're not all going the same way. If that's right, if that bumper sticker is right, then Jesus was wrong or he was a fool. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father except by me. So he was either who he said he was, Lord, or he was a liar or a lunatic. But a good man wouldn't tell you that. Only God would tell you that. So to synchronize all religion into one is the goal of this global agenda. Now some listening in this room or outside or online might say, well, this just sounds like some conspiracy theory. I guarantee you that this is not a conspiracy theory, and I will show you evidence as we go. The aim is a borderless world. You notice that when the new administration came in, the first thing they wanted to do was erase the border. That is because it has a global agenda of a globalist. It is conformity on every level, to where we take away language that is descriptive of gender, we take away everything that makes us different and unique and tries to conform us into all being exactly the same, saying the same thing, and speaking the same words. It is conformity on every level, and it is predicted in the Bible. So when you begin to think about a conspiracy theory, then you have to say, was the Bible written by conspirators, to trick us in this century? Or was it written by inspiration of God to inform us, to make us ready and equip us for the things that would be coming in our lifetime? I choose the latter. I choose the Bible is the living word of God. It is inspired by God. It is infallible. That means it will never fail. It will do everything it says And that it is inerrant. That means it's not wrong. Now, recently in Nashville, Tennessee, a church got a lot of press because they announced that the Bible was not true, that it was not inerrant or infallible, and they said it's just a gathering of teachings. We published in a test version that we'll show you hopefully next Sunday of American Faith. We have our website about 98% done and ready to launch on our new media network and if you don't know that we're launching American Faith as a media network and you're going to hear a lot more about it and it will continue to grow and expand and we will we will um, get a stronghold in this media world I promise you that But we, we published in there some things that would, would show you the evidence of what we're talking about today, and hopefully you'll see that next Sunday morning. That's my goal, is we were going to launch it on March 1st, and I said, well, maybe we can do it at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and let you be the first to see it live. Amen? Yeah. Let's talk about the control of the last days. An interesting person that you've probably never heard of is a guy by the name of Albert Bitterman. And Bitterman wrote in 1957, after thoroughly studying uh, the, the brainwashing techniques of the Chinese and the Korean during uh, the Korean War, and it was uh, techniques that were used to elicit confessions from U.S. Air Force prisoners of war. Using these tactics was to manip- manipulate people's minds and feelings to gain cooperation and ultimately make them psychologically and physical prisoners, and he began to wonder what was those, what were those techniques, and how are those being applied in society in 1957? I thought they were interesting, and I want to bring those eight steps to you today with some comment. It's called Bitterman's Chart of Coercion. You can look it up. You can study it further if you so desire. But the first one is isolation. You isolate the prisoner and deprive the victim of all social support. Sound familiar? March 2020, lockdowns began. Not only did the lockdowns begin supposedly to protect us from what was coming, but it also created a social problem in that we stopped seeing each other. We stopped associating and touching one another a handshake, a slap on the back, a hug. It stopped right there. It got further. I noticed when I would go into places like Ace Hardware and Pep Boys, two of my favorite stores. Makes you wonder if I really live in Orange County. I walked into Pep Boys one day and the manager's kind of a, a familiar face and he said, you need anything? And I said, no, I just like the smell. You know what he said? That I understand. There's just something about grease, oil, and, and tires that just turns me on. I don't know what it is. But you walk into those stores and people have masks on, and now they don't even want to look you in the eye. Something's happened. Step one, bitterman. Step two, controlling perception. Fixate their attention on the immediate predicament, control the narrative around the dilemma, and eliminate any information that does not support the message. Sound familiar? Have you noticed that all the emphasis on how many people have been tested or tested positive, and not on the fact that 99. Point something percent of the people actually survive? But that emphasis is never given because they're controlling the narrative. And now the mask isn't enough, now we're told we need to wear two masks. I can't breathe in one. The new press secretary said she had the vaccine and now she also believes that we need to wear the mask. Is there no end to this? Number three, humiliation. Humiliation is a form of punishment that heightens feelings of incompetence. And so what the narrative does is it shames all those who do not conform to the narrative. And so we take away the right of freedom as an individual. You see, our nation was built on the idea that we are a free people, that we're smart enough to make choices about our future. And we don't need someone to tell us everything that we should think, do, or be. Number four, exhaustion. Have you noticed periods of exhaustion during this season? I mean, do you realize that we are almost one year into lockdown? I mean, think about that. And do you realize that most of the churches in California are still not open? And some of them have no plans to open anytime soon. I don't understand that personally. I'm not judging, I just don't understand how you can be a church and refuse to open. I'll stop there before I say too much. (laughs) Exhaustion, both physically and mentally, will stop a person from resisting. So the threat is there's a second wave coming. Or in the words of our president, it's gonna be a long, cold, dark winter. Man, I feel encouraged already, how about you? (laughs) Number five, threats. Threats create anxiety and despair. If you continue, we're going to fine you, and if we don't do that, we're going to block you on social media. Well, it sounds like threats are working. working. Number six, power. Using power of position over someone demonstrates to them their resistance is futile. So the phrase is, follow the science. I can't find anybody that seems to be able to do that. The Pasteur Institute in France at one time, I don't know if they still do, they had a copy of every textbook ever written on the subject of science, and at the time that I read this article, it was over six miles long. But every one of them, of the new volumes, invalidated the one prior to it. Because science is something you practice, and it's valuable, and we've all benefited from it, we all learn it, but I think we all understand there is no follow the science out there when I've heard doublespeak out of Fauci more than once. Number seven, enforcing trivial demands. Demands are often trivial and contradictory. This reinforces who has the power and control. So we're told that we can travel to Massachusetts but not to Maine. We're told to wear our mask into the restaurant, but the moment you sit down, the threat is over. I don't understand. We can eat outside in a plastic tent that steams up like a sauna, but can't go inside where they have good air conditioning going on. This gives me a pain I can't locate. Number eight, granting occasional indulgences. By granting indulgences, the people in power provide positive motivation for conforming to their demands. In other words, if you're good, you can get out of this color zone and you can drive your car. I have to admit, if you're one of these people, forgive me, this is a weakness, but if you're all alone in your car, do you know where I'm going? I promise you, the science will tell you, you don't have to wear your mask. Now, whenever I go into stores and I go into places and I'm around sensitive situations, I wear my mask. I don't do it for my benefit. I don't do it because I believe that's science. Science has already proven the masks that we wear do, are not effective against stopping the COVID. I do it as a courtesy. We believe that We should not shame someone who doesn't wear one. We should not shame someone who does. We believe we should honor all people. We want you to have the freedom to wear a mask anytime, anywhere you want to, and we are not going to be the people to shame you. That's just what it means to be a decent human being. Amen? Let me take you to a chart. Sometimes this is helpful to kind of see where we're going, and then we'll begin to walk you through it. We're talking about the one world government and it's important to kinda know where we are now and then where this is going. Um, You might wanna just take a picture of this if you you wanna retain it. All the sermon notes, by the way, you'll find on your app. If you download the church app, we publish all the sermon notes before I preach on Sunday morning, so you have them. But it will not capture images, so this is the only thing you won't see on there. So one world government, if we go back over here to the far left, you notice it says the great falling away. I'd encourage you to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's a it's a pivotal chapter in understanding the last days. Well, here's what it says that in the last days there will be a great falling away from the faith. What that means is people who claim to be Christian or claim to love God would begin to say I don't love God and I'm not going to go and I'm not going to be engaged in kingdom activity. And so what I believe is I believe this has begun. I actually believe that this season of COVID-19 became a turning point prophetically. It became a point at which a lot of people said, I really don't think I need church anymore. I was uh, in a gathering back in April of about 300 pastors and all of us were trying to figure out what we were going to do, it made national attention, you may have seen it on Fox News. But when are we going to open? And most of us decided we would open up on May 31st, and that's why we opened up on May 31st, because we believed it was an important day. It's actually um, Pentecost Sunday it was last year, and we felt like it was significant to, to ask for the, the movement of the Spirit of God in our life on that day. But, but I want to tell you what, what happened on that day. I was talking to a couple of, of guys. They were pastors. They had started a church, and they said to me, Uh, It's working so well online that we're never going to go back live, even if they lift the restrictions. And I said, well, why are you doing that? Well, we found that we're just as effective. People are still giving. So why would we go through all the trouble, believe it or not, it's coming out of the mouth of a pastor, why should we go to all the trouble of opening our doors? That's a falling away. I'm glad I don't know the names, I don't remember the faces, and I don't know the church. It's not important that I know that. It's not important that you know that. It's only important to know that I believe we're living in a day of great falling away. And you have to examine yourself, the Bible says, to make sure you're in the faith. Do you really know him? You see, perseverance, persistence in the Christian faith is one of the marks of truly knowing God. In 1 John it says, they were not all of us, for had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But it became evident that they were not of us, for they departed from us. So you see, there, is, there are biblical ways you can not judge people, but say it appears this is what's going on. Like Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. There's no fruit in your life, or you really know the Lord. So uh, the Bible is filled with these things because God wants us to be informed. He wants us to know. So the great falling away, I believe, has begun uh, the next big event, and we could put a lot of them on here, in fact, next uh, week we're going to give you some more detail, is the rapture of the church, First Thessalonians chapter 4. I encourage you to read these sections. This talks about uh, the Lord will descend from the air, in the air, we will meet him in the air, and we will be with him, and we will be with him during that great tribulation period, only to return with him, if you see at the far right there, the second coming of Christ, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. All right, so now also notice here, we have at the rapture, we also have the Holy Spirit departs. Now, for, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.7 tells us, he calls the, the Holy Spirit there the restrainer, the restrainer of evil on the earth. Do you realize that the only hope on planet earth right now is the church of the living God empowered by the Spirit of God? Imagine if there's nobody Restraining. No, there's no Christians trying to do good in the school, trying to do good in the government. There's nobody. And then imagine if the Holy Spirit himself says, I'm going to pull away and I'm going to let man run his life the way he wants to run his life. You see, this was the warning that, uh, that was given in Genesis chapter 6 through 9 on the great flood. G- uh, the Bible says that my spirit will not always strive with mankind. That is, I'm not going to fight you. If you don't want the Spirit of God, I'll step back, and I'll let you run your life your way. And isn't it interesting that Jesus said, if you want to know about the return of Christ, study the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of God. So if I want to know something about the second coming and these days, I study Noah. He also said the same thing about Lot. As it was in the days of Lot, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So we understand that. So then we begin this period of the great of uh, the tribulation, um, and you see here Revelation uh, 6 through 19. That's the whole section in Revelation that deals with the tribulation. What happens in the middle of that, in the halfway mark? By the way, that period is seven years long. We don't have time to go into why it's seven, but it, Scripture supports that. Halfway through that. Uh, Jesus said, and then there will be a great tribulation, such has never been on the earth or ever will be. So Jesus singled it out and said that point right there will be a mark. So you can look back in history and see some bad times and say, well, gosh, look how bad it was in World War II, or look how bad it was, you know, just name the event, right? Jesus said, no, there will never be anything like this, nor will there ever be anything that will repeat this violence on planet Earth. This is the great tribulation begins because what happens here is, uh, and this is also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'd encourage you to read it. I don't have it on the note there. But it's when Satan, uh, or the beast rather, the Antichrist, proclaims himself to be God and takes his seat in the temple of God. That happens midway through it. At that point, somewhere in this point here, uh, he receives a wound to the head, and uh, he apparently is dead, but comes back to life. And the, old, the entire world marvels, the Scripture says, because they thought that they experienced a resurrection here, and now they believe that there's a resurrected ruler on planet Earth. He then institutes what's called the Mark of the Beast. And that Mark of the Beast, we've heard a lot about that. And, you know, these are the chapters that you don't put on your refrigerator to memorize. You know what I mean? I, you know, like the Lord loves me, you put that one up. But this one, you know, I don't want that one. But it says that no one can buy or sell unless they receive the mark of the beast, and that is the number of man, 666. So we move down here to the Battle of Armageddon. We talked about uh, this battle. Uh, Primarily, we see the the kings of the east, which is China, 200 million uh, man army, and then uh, the second coming of Christ. So that'll give you a quick overview. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 24 and 21. It says, here's the words of Jesus. For then, notice he's giving you chronology, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time no shall ever be. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. So in other words, what's gonna happen, just like we put on the chart, there's gonna be a falling away. You know, Christianity's not that important in my life. It's a hobby. You know, yeah, I buy into that stuff and I pray you know, when I'm speeding and I see a policeman. I mean, that's, that's the level of Christianity that some people embrace, honestly. You know, nobody's more effective, you know, than a person who doesn't know God in prayer than when they see a crisis coming. That's not the design of prayer. It is to engage God and get his wisdom, to build a relationship of love with him, not to get out of trouble. And so there be a falling away first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, the Antichrist. Well, let's look at the leader of these last days. Revelation chapter 13, we're going to jump right into the belly of the beast, so to speak. John said, then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns and his ten, ten crowns on his head's and a blasphemous name. Now the beast, notice he went from an indefinite article to a definite, a beast to the beast, which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth were like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, you can just put uh, a note there, that's Satan, gave him his power and his throne and his authority. Notice three things that Satan gave him. He said, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you a throne. I'm going to give you great authority. Those sound familiar? Do you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, and he was fasting 40 days and Satan appeared unto him and he said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. I will give you power. I will give you authority. See, Satan knew he could get somebody to do this. It just wasn't going to be Jesus because Jesus said on every occasion, what did he say? Thus it is written. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, if you don't have a Bible you can trust, you can't even defeat the enemy because the only thing you have to stand on is the absolute infallible word of the living God. John went on to say, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and a deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled. That word in the Greek means to stand with your mouth open, you can't believe what you see. And they followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon, remember that's Satan, who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So in other words, we have found the ultimate supreme leader of the world, a world that has already been conditioned to lock in step with the rest of the world called globalism. You see, nothing happens instantly. Things happen progressively, don't they? You know, if you get away from God, it doesn't happen all at one moment. You ever heard people say, I don't know what happened. I loved God yesterday, now I don't. No, you were progressively stepping away from him. You just didn't notice it. You didn't notice what was happening in your life until finally you hit a wall. What does this one rule uh, government look like? What does this leader want? He wants, first of all, control. I thought it was interesting. The New York Times is Not exactly the most conservative newspaper in the world. I think we could all agree with that. But I was interested because even they alerted something that was interesting that was happening in our world. I pulled this excerpt out of an article called One Nation Tracked from February 5th of this year. And here's what they say about the location tracking industry exists because those in power allow it to exist. Plenty of Americans remain oblivious to this collection through no fault of their own, but many others understand what's happening and allow it anyway. They feel powerless to stop it, or were simply seduced by the convenience afforded to the trade-off. The dark truth is, is that, despite genuine concern from those paying attention, there's little appetite for a meaningful dismantle this advertising infrastructure that undergirds unchecked corporation data collection." End quote business. Second thing this leader wants is business. That is, destroy capitalism. Do you realize that capitalism is the reason that this nation has prospered? Is it perfect? Absolutely not, but I haven't met any perfect people except Jesus. Amen? So you can criticize any ideology you want, but you have to look and say, what's produced freedom among people? What's allowed people to prosper? is the idea that if I work hard, I might just get ahead, versus if I work hard, I'm just working for a socialistic government or a communistic government, and I'm never going to get ahead. Well, how are they going to do that? It's called the Great Reset. We've mentioned this before, but the World Economic Forum, some of the planet's most powerful business leaders, government officials, and activists announced a proposal to reset the global economy. One of those leaders is our President, Biden, Uh, Prince Charles of England, and on and on we could go with that list. Instead of traditional capitalism, the high-profile group said that the world should adopt more socialistic policies, such as wealth, taxes, additional uh, regulations, and massive, listen to this, this sounds found found familiar, Green New Deal-like government programs. Every country, from the United States to China, must participate in every industry, from oil and gas to tech, must be transformed, wrote Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. If you're a small business owner, this means that you will no longer have a business. That's what it means. Secondly, change currency. In Revelation 13, 16 through 18, it says, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, here it comes, to receive a mark on the right hand or on the foreheads. It seems to be optional. If you'd rather have something on your hand and not in the middle of your head, which doesn't seem appealing, then you can do that. That no one may buy or sell except one who has, now watch this, there's three things that are happening here, and a lot of people bypass this. Who has the mark, that's one option, the name, or the number. Isn't it interesting? We'll go into that maybe next week, because it's kind of interesting. Or the number of his name, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of man. His number is 666. Well, let's talk a little bit about digital or cryptocurrency. Why is that appealing to governments? Well, first of all, it's very appealing to the IRS, because you can't hide any money. Grandma can't roll up a couple of hundreds and put them in a sock and hide them in her closet. Because, you see, if we can eliminate cash, we eliminate your freedom. Have you ever thought about that? I can't now, if I, if I pay cash for something, I, they don't know who I am. I go to my, one of my old standbys, Ace Hardware, and they say, uh, would you like to give me your phone number? And I said, no, I'd like to give you cash. They don't hardly know what to do with cash anymore. Have you noticed that? Cryptocurrency tracks and controls every dollar. So that means that um, in the wrong hands, and it will be, I promise you that, that government can then know where you've been, what you've done, and what you've spent your money on. In China, they have introduced what's called a social credit system. And what it does is it gives you a social score which allows you to use your money. If you have a bad score, you don't get to use your own money. So I pulled this out. This was kind of an interesting. I just want to read it to you. I didn't have time to, just found this this morning. But listen to this. Imagine if your government collaborated with the private sector to aggregate your credit history, your ability to service a financial product, your online behavior, and your personal characteristics. Imagine if your government also ranked you on based on what you said privately and associated with what you purchased. Imagine if your government, through a growing surveillance network of 200 million cameras, used facial recognition and and machine learning to have eyes on you and your behavior 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Finally, imagine if your government distilled all that data down to a single metric to rank your trustworthiness as a citizen. Well, it's real and it's already happening. I don't know why I can look for a couch online and it shows up in my Facebook feed. How'd you know I'm looking for a couch? I want to keep my couch shopping biz private. But no, we're living in that world. I got good news. I'm gonna give you the power of the last days. i want to give you the power. If you've said, what are we going to do, oh my, I wish I would have gone to the beach today. I don't believe knowing what the Word of God says and what's happening in your world is ever a bad thing, unless you don't balance it with the other side, and that is, so what are we as believers? What's the benefit? What's the the power source for us? And it's multiple. Multiple. It's multiple. Let me give you a a few scriptures. One of my favorites, Psalm 91. This is one you will want to commit to memory or put on your refrigerator. (laughs) He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Did you know that God has a secret place? Let that sink in a minute. You may have a secret place where you go and pray, or you get all alone, but you know God has a secret place. God says, I want to invite you into my secret place. And I don't want you to come as a visitor. I want you to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Well, there are those who are high in society, but no, none are the Most High. Come and enter into the secret place of the Most High, and you shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. See, Romans 8 says nothing's going to touch you, nothing's going to separate you from the love of God, not things present, not things to come not angels, principalities, or powers. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. When you walk with God, you are secure. You are safe. He says, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Where do you run to get safe and to hide? You run to God. My God, in him will I trust. Surely, look at this, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. See, there's, there are hunters out there that are trying to get you. I'm not talking about hunters Biden, but I'm talking about hunters. <laughs> there are hunters out that are trying to get you. The snare of the fowler. God says, I'm going to deliver you from those who are going to try to trap you. History is replete, the Bible is replete with references to those whom God delivered from the snare and also from the perilous pestilence. God says, you know what? I can deliver you from all things if you will trust in me and and move into that strong tower that I create. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, because you have kept my command to persevere. You see, that's one of the commands of God. Perseverance is a command of God. Don't quit. Don't give up. We're so prone to quit and so prone to give up. Like that old poem says, when things go wrong as they sometimes will, and the road you're trudging is all uphill. When the funds are low and the debt is high, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to the faint and faltering one who learned too late how close he was to the golden crown. So rest if you must, but don't you quit. Amen? He says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. That's the tribulation which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. First John chapter three, verses one through three, one of my favorites. Behold what manner of love, what manner of love has the Father bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Have you ever just appreciated the fact that you're called a child of God? That's the manner, that's God's love. I call you my child, I bring you into my family. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. See, the reason the world doesn't recognize you, I'm talking about the world ideology outside of Christianity. It doesn't acknowledge you, doesn't think it's valuable because it doesn't think God is valuable. It's not you they're rejecting. You feel persecuted because nobody wants to hear your story. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the God in you. The transformation that God did in you, that's what they reject. But I love this, beloved, now we are the children of God. It is not yet revealed, but what we shall be. You know, the most asked question over my whole ministry has been this, what do you think we're going to look like in the resurrection? And it's always women, by the way, I gotta tell you. Because they're really concerned, you know, am I gonna look good? What age will I be? I promise you, When you're transformed into the image and the likeness of Almighty God in his purity and his perfection, you will be fully satisfied with you. For the first time in your life, we live lives of identity crisis and struggles with image and all of those things. That's all going away. It's all going away one day. Amen. And the closer you get to God, the easier it is to experience that and feel it in your own life. It says, it does not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, you know what that is? That's the... Return of Christ. We shall be like him. I'd like to be like him in his fullness. For we shall see him as he is. Now look, here's the hope. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You know what happens when I when I hope in the return of Christ, when I put my faith in God like that, when I put my hope in there, my whole transformation, this transformation happens. I begin to to grow in his likeness. I begin to have a pure outlook on life. I begin to see things like I've never seen things before because now I'm seeing them through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, that's exciting to me. You see, because there's always been difficulty and challenges for God's people. Just go all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan trying to crush the dream. And guess what? God was a redeemer God and God pulled them out and God rescued them. They tried to crush the dream of of Noah. God pulled them out and rescued them. Of Israel in Egypt, God pulled them out and he rescued them. And God is going to pull you out and rescue you in every situation in your life. You don't have to worry. You don't have to have anxiety. The Bible says have no anxiety about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen, let's stand together. Father, I just ask right now for anyone here who does not know the Lord, that you would right now just humble yourself before him and call upon his name. The Bible says that he's not far for those who would call. Would you say, save me, Lord Jesus? Would you say, come into my heart? The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, Believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. The promise is we will be saved. Just be saved right now. Say, Lord, save me right where I stand, right where I sit. Save me, Lord Jesus, right now where I stand, where I sit. Come into my heart, give me the power of God in my life. Seal me with your Holy Spirit that I might walk in power and newness of life. Amen and amen. If that was your decision, then know that God saved you and persevere and follow him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all your strength.